mindfulness mode, 255. I'm like, I don't know what happened, but I felt a tremendous release and my headache disappeared instantaneously. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Always thank you. I'm always grateful for you being here to listen to Mindfulness Mode today. So thank you for that. Last time, my guest was a woman that I met at an event in Toronto. We were sitting next to each other, and little did I know that she was an expert in the area of food, nutrition, and losing weight. Well, I think you're really going to like her sense of humor too. She's a lot of fun, so knowledgeable. You may want to check out episode 254 to hear Lorraine Croston, mindfulnessmode.com slash 254. I've just returned from the New Media Summit in San Diego. I do quite a lot of speaking and I was thrilled to be invited to this event to be what they called a podcasting icon. I was speaking at the very beginning of the event on a panel talking about the future of podcasting and later I was speaking about how to be a great podcast guest. I shared some stories and insight in this whole area having interviewed you know, over, well over 200 people. The New Media Summit was the brainchild of Steve Olsher. He's a successful speaker. He's author of the best-selling book, What Is Your What? And he's podcast host of Reinvention Radio at reinventionradio.com. Wow, I just loved meeting 200 amazing people, including the 40 podcast icons who are super successful podcasters. You, Mindful Tribe, you're the reason why my podcast is so successful because you keep listening. So thank you for that. I had the honor of meeting a woman I've known for two years, an author who is all about helping teens. Her deeply profound and wise advice is applicable to anyone at any age, even though she specializes in focusing on teenage girls. I was really thrilled to meet her in person and hang out with her at the New Media Summit. Her personality is just as sparkling in in real life as she is over the airwaves. I knew, I just knew she would be. I was so thrilled to get hugs and time to chat with with her. Sit back, relax, and enjoy time with my good friend, Jackie Latran. Hey, Mindful Tribe. I have to tell you, I'm really, really excited today because I have someone with me who is so vibrant, so full of energy, so amazing. And wait till I tell you, she's a multiple international award-winning gold medal author. <laughs> and uh, I... I'm just thrilled to have Jackie with me. So, hey, Jackie, are you in mindfulness mode today? Yes, I most certainly am. And oh my gosh, the introduction again, follow me everywhere I go and tell people me about me. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to. And as a matter of fact, I would love to tell Mindful Tribe a little bit more about you even than that, because there's so much to tell. Jackie Latran is a multiple award-winning author and a vibrant, passionate thought leader mentor and speaker she's even speaking today later on she has helped thousands of teens and youth turn their lives around by changing their mindset to one where they truly believe that success and happiness 
are possible for them, regardless of their current circumstances. Jackie is trained as a nurse practitioner, and she's made full use of her life experiences and and all of the training she's received to successfully transform clients. Now, Jackie just returned from the Great American Book Festival and Literary Classics Book Awards ceremony, where she received a gold medal for her book, Five Simple Questions to Reclaim Your Happiness. The book also won a silver medal from the reader's favorite category. Wow. You know, just reading all that and and thinking about all your accomplishments, Jackie, it's just amazing. I'm so excited for you. You're just on top of the world, aren't you? I most certainly am. It's been a blessing. Everything that I've um, experienced as a child that I thought was really painful is coming back in such a beautiful way. I'm using my experiences to help other people. I'm using my experiences to elevate my own life. And there's absolutely no room for complaints. (laughs) Well, Jackie, what does mindfulness mean to you? So for me, mindfulness just means being very intentional with where you focus your energy, your attention, and, and I guess your focus in the present moment. Right. And and Jackie, you, you just alluded a little bit to some challenges from your youth. So tell me about that. What was life like growing up for Jackie Latran? Well, it started out pretty good um, until I hit my preteen years. And right around preteen years, I think all of my friends changed. They all blossomed into these beautiful young ladies and they were wearing makeup and designer clothes and they were dating and they have boyfriends. And I came from a very traditional Vietnamese family where the only only thing that we were allowed to do is, you know, obey, (laughs) obey and, and focus all of our energy and attention on school. And being at that age, I had no interest in obeying my mother. And I had no interest in spending all of my time in education. I wanted to be where my friends were. I wanted to be like them and I wasn't allowed. So I felt like my world was kind of turned upside down where all of a sudden I woke up one day and I didn't fit in anywhere. I didn't fit in at home. I didn't fit in at school. And I became pretty anxious and pretty depressed about the whole thing. And what did you do? Did you try to escape that life? Well, so I had a lot of anxiety and depression and a lot of people, when they have anxiety and depression, they would draw within themselves. I express mine outwardly. Um, oh. And I didn't do that intentionally. I got into my first fist fight when I was 14 years old and it wasn't even about me. It was about my older sister, but my older sister is, is this beautiful, sweet, dainty thing that could not protect herself. So I felt it was my duty as her sister to protect her. I did not want to get into that fight. But after I got into that fight, the most bizarre thing happened. People started to recognize me because up until that point, I was completely invisible. Wherever I went, I felt judged. I felt inferior. I felt small. I didn't fit in. But after this fight, I'm walking down the hallway and people are high-fiving me. They're smiling at me. They're giving me thumbs up, right? And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm somebody. People like me. I finally belong somewhere. So I didn't know it then, but in that moment, I made that decision that I want this, I need this, and I know how to get it, and that is by fighting some more. Oh, so it gave you a, a sense of confidence and a sense of strength then. And did it you did. continue to be a fighter? Did you see yourself as a fighter? 
I did initially, you know, after that first fight and seeing all the responses, I'm like, this is me. This is who I am. This is how I'm going to carve my space in life. And so anytime I needed attention, anytime I felt uncomfortable, anytime I feel inferior, I would act out. I would get into verbal arguments. I would get into pushing arguments. I would get into fist fights. And every time I got into a fist fight or even verbal arguments, people were like giving me tons and tons of attention. And that reinforced my belief of if I want to be loved, if I want to be accepted, this is who I have to be. But at the same time, it went against everything I was back then and everything I am right now. And so with every single fight I got into, with every single person I hurt, I can feel a part of me just fading away. And I lost myself for a really, really long time. Uh, in fact, you know, fast forward a few years later at 16, I was a pregnant, uh, a pregnant teenager. I was on welfare and I dropped out of high school because of all of the decisions I've made leading up to that point. Okay. And did you get in trouble with the law or with the authorities because of your fighting as well? Yes. <laughs> uh, how did that feel at the time? Powerful. And the wrong is, you know, like I, I highly don't recommend this for anybody. It's definitely destroyed um, my self-esteem and my self-confidence and my self-love. But in those moments, I really, again, thought this is what I needed to do to get the love and attention and affection that I was craving so much. And of course, you know, like being a teenager, when those kind of things happen, when I get into fights, when I get into trouble, people are giving me a lot of attention. And I thought they were my friends. I thought they respected me. But I was pure entertainment. Right. Uh, People are egging me on because they want to see another show. And that's all I right. was to them was another show, not because they love me or wanted to be my friend. They just wanted to laugh. Right. So you were 16. You were pregnant. Did you have the baby? Tell me what happened. Uh, yes, I have. Um, so when I first got pregnant, my first thought shifted to abortion, you know, because I can't do this. I mean, who am I? I'm 16 year, years old and I'm a complete mess. I can't be a mom. But as quickly as that thought entered my mind, I'm like, there's no way I'm giving this up. No. And no, not at all. And I'm so grateful that even as a very depressed, anxious teen, I made the best decision for myself. And so when I gave birth to my son, um, just one look at him, you know, his, his, his little fingers, his eyes, his smile, his teeny tiny little body, everything about him was so perfect. And I think for the first time in my life, I just felt this immense love that I didn't even know was possible. I had so much love for him and I still do to this day. And so when I looked at him, when I was still in the hospital room and I looked at him, I just knew again, I made another decision, another life-changing decision. And that decision was, I'm gonna break this pattern of poverty, of self-hatred, of self-destruction because I want it so much for my son. And in that moment, I made that decision and I started taking steps toward healing. Wow. And is that when you decided to get into healthcare and become a nurse practitioner? Yes. Um, I actually wanted to be a physician when I was first thinking about career paths. And I was recommended against it, which I'm really grateful for. I mean, the point that was presented to me made perfect sense. They're like, well, you have a ninth grade education and you got your GED, right? You don't have a strong academic background. And if you go for medical school and you do all of these few years of prerequisites, and decide you don't want to go further, you don't have anything to show for it. Start with nursing. Start yes. with getting your nursing degree. It's a little bit easier academically. It's an easier entrance. And if after a couple of years you decide you're done, you have a degree. Of and I'm like, that makes sense. 
Um, but as I got into the education and returning back to the education, I, I kept going. And a little while ago, I was telling you that when I was a teenager, a preteen, my mom was always focusing on studying. And I hated it so much, but I didn't know that those words that she said to me embedded in my mind so deeply, those those, um, times that she forced me to sit at the dining table, do my homework, created this amazing pattern and routine for studying so that when I did return back to college, I already had the skills of being a really, really good student. And I had, you know, thankfulness, the intellect for it too. Um, So all of that worked. In my benefit, you know, things that I hated, things that I thought was destroying my life, my my mother, uh, my pregnancy are both savers. I mean, those are things that got me to where I am today. So you brought up that little baby, you worked on your degree, and then you got a job as a nurse practitioner. How did you pull that all off? Did you have help with your with your baby? How did you do that? I had a lot of help. Um, I was with my ex-husband at that point. And he, you know, was, I would say, is probably the most amazing stepfather. And I'm going to take the word step away. He was the most amazing father for my son. He was very supportive, very loving. Um, He guided Alan, my son, uh, into, you know, a lot of amazing things. And he took that stress off of me. And he was very supportive with my education. So I'm going to give thank where it's due. Um, So I had a lot of help, but, you know, it's, just taking that that determination to to do something different, to create a difference in my life for my son. And you worked, worked, worked. What point did you make the decision where you wanted to help youth and young girls? I think I was actually um, still pregnant when I started thinking about it. Okay. Um, because when I was pregnant, I actually had a, a few very... Um, unfortunate. I'm going to use that word. I'm not going to go way too far with that word. Unfortunate events. Um, and, and the first one is probably TMI for your audience, but if you want me to share, I will be willing to share because it, it really impacted me okay. and it really showed a disregard for youth in some of these, you know, professions that are supposed to be there to help. And so those kind of um, incidences really catapult me to want to be there for other teens. Right. Right. So what were some of those challenges then? (laughs) All right. I warn you, TMI, and you might want to cut this out. (laughs) So when I was 15 and a half, almost 16 years old, I went to Planned Parenthood to get on birth control. I was sexually active and I didn't want to be pregnant because one of my best friends had a daughter and she's like, you don't want to do this. And I see how much you struggle. And so I went to Planned Parenthood. And when I walked in, I was so incredibly intimidated. There was this lady, you know, sitting at the tall counter with her glasses, peering down at me. And after a few seconds, I left. And I did that three times. I knew I didn't want to be pregnant. I kept going back, but I was always so scared. So I always left. It was not that welcoming environment. And so I finally stayed. And way back when, gosh, I'm going to totally age myself here. Way back when, in order for you to get birth control, you have to have a pap smear. That's not the case anymore. Thank goodness. And so I'm there on my stirrup, I have my feet up in the stirrups, and I'm getting ready to have my pap smear and scared out of my mind because I've never, ever gone through anything like this, right? right? The doctor walks in, and I kid you not, this is exactly what happened. He took the chart. He slapped me over my ass and said, get dressed. You're pregnant. Oh, you're kidding. That was 
Yes, that was how I found out I was pregnant. And of course, already being so frightened and hearing those words, I mean, all I could do is just like ball. I was crying so hard, shaking, crying because, you know, I have no clue what the heck I was going to do. Right. Of course. Yes. And then during the, the birth itself, and you're a man, so you haven't experienced this, but no. but but female uh, audience of yours who went through the birthing process know how painful it is. And I, you know, again, I'm 16 at that point. I was a baby having a baby. Yeah. Yeah. And I was crying and I was screaming and I was just being a terrible teenager. And the nurse looked at me and she said to me, you got yourself into this. You're going to be a mother. Stop acting like a baby. And I was like, Whoa! Right. And and yeah. those experiences and other experiences when I was pregnant and going for medical care is what got me to make the decision. No, that shouldn't be that, you know, other teens that find themselves in that situation should have some compassion, should have some understanding, some love, some education, some guidance, some support rather than more harshness. We don't need that. Right. Nobody. No, needs don't. That. I don't care how old you are. <laughs> Nobody needs yeah. that. No. No. So how did you move into that place where you were actually helping young girls? So I became a nurse practitioner at 23. And for the first two years of my career, I did um, general care. I work in urgent care just because I wanted to have a very strong foundation for the medical aspect of it. And once I felt I had that, I shifted right into adolescent health. I started working in um, the first place I worked in is called the Youth Health Center. And it's basically primarily a reproductive health clinic and mental health clinic. And so this is in the state of Washington. And in the state of Washington, if you have enough intelligence to walk into a clinic to ask for birth control, to ask for mental health care, regardless of how old you are, you don't have to get your parents' permission. So we're seeing a lot of really highly at-risk kids who have enough intellect to know that, yeah, they're, they're having sex. Yeah, they're, 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 they're drinking, they're doing drugs, but they also want help. They want information, they want education, they want support, they want guidance, and we're able to do that for them. And I did that for seven years and loved every moment of it. So seven years um, into it, or maybe six years into it, I decided, you know what, I want my own clinic. Oh. So after working for seven years, I opened up my own clinic, and again, this, in the state of Washington, nurse practitioner function autonomously. We can do the majority of what physicians can, I can diagnose, I can prescribe, and I can have my clinic independent of a physician. And that's exactly what I did. I started my own medical clinic for teenagers called Teen Choice Medical Center. And I did that for six, almost seven years, doing the same kind of thing as really being a source of support and education and providing medical care for these teenagers. Wow. And were there any struggles getting that going and working in your own clinic? Was that challenging? Or I mean, it, it, when you're telling the story, it just sounds like, wow, the pieces just all fell into place and this just happened. Well, yes and no. Um, the pieces did fall in place so much more than I could even imagine. Um, I've been so blessed that way. But there were a lot of challenges. And the biggest challenges was my self-esteem. Even though, you know, at that time, you know, like I've been hearing at that point now, oh my gosh, you're so amazing. You're a teenage mom and you got your master's degree and became a nurse practitioner at 23 and you're doing all these great things and da, 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 da. So I've I've been hearing that, but those words are all external to my true feeling about myself because in that moment I still felt small. I've been on the healing process, but I'm not on the other end at this point yet. 
So when I started my clinic, it's because of my drive, my passion to help other teens, but me myself was still kind of small inside myself. So when I connected to other healthcare providers in the community to introduce myself and my services, I was scared out of my mind. And I came into these meetings knowing that I'm going to be judged, right? So wrong, but that's my that my expectation. Mm-hmm. And even with vendors, vendors who I'm giving money to, I felt like I'm begging them for for their their um their work. Like wow. I would, and I was in Korea. It's insane. Um, lucky, luckily, again, things did fall into place. But the way that I approached it then is completely different than how I would approach it now. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, that's fascinating. And then and then you moved to the point where you decided to write and you wrote, I would, but my damn mind won't let me. And that title grabs you, doesn't it? It grabs readers. Tell me how you got to that point where you decided to write so you could share even more of your knowledge and expertise. Sure. Um, I have to take a step back because prior to writing it, I left my medical career. So I was doing the, you know, medical and prescribing medication for a long time. And then at one point I just got really discouraged because I started noticing a pattern I didn't like. I start seeing the same patient year in, year out, and they're still on medication. Some of them I'm increasing their dosage, adding a second medication, adding a third medication. Five, 10 years later, they're still on medication, uh, right? Yes. And I would hear these patients say things like, well, Jackie told me I had depression, so I couldn't do that thing. Or if it wasn't for my anxiety, I would do that thing, right? So they were so held back by these diagnoses that I was giving them and the medication that I was giving them. And I'm not saying the medication didn't help. It definitely took off the edge. It helped them to be able to to sustain themselves. But it didn't take care of the underlying problem. It's still there. And so I got really discouraged. So I started looking for alternative um, methods for healing. And I found a bunch of different things. Some are so out there for me and some, you know... I kind of liked, but even the one that I like and the one I used actually love now, when I first heard of it, I was still like, oh, crazy people, (laughs) woo woo. (laughs) Uh Uh, Hypnosis is definitely one of them. When I first heard about hypnosis, I'm like, that's for crazy people that can't work. When I heard about EFT, emotional freedom technique, where you tap along the meridian to release negative energy. I'm like, again, crazy, only crazy people believe in that kind of stuff. But when I first experienced EFT and had all those thoughts, I had a huge headache. And so my mentor says, Oh, Jackie, you have a headache. He's a physician. Jackie, you have a headache. I'm like, yes. And I extended my hand out expecting a pill. And he said, no, 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 hop on the table. You're going to experience this. And he's interviewing me. He's asking me these questions. He's tapping on my face. He's tapping on my body. I'm crying like nobody's business. And I don't cry back then. I'm like, I don't know what happened. But I felt a tremendous release and my headache disappeared instantaneously. And I'm like, I know I don't understand it, but I want more of it. So I started educating myself. I went to a bunch of seminars and courses and fell in love with it. So I gave up my medical practice about probably going on eight years now. And I started my first holistic practice called Healing Minds. Okay. And Yeah. And within Healing Minds, um, I did that for a few years and then, I thought I was done with teenager. I'm like, I dedicated all my life to teenager. I'm done. I'm going to work where the money is, right? I'm in Orange County, California, and I wanted to be working with the affluent community. Teenagers aren't affluent. 
Um, and so I started working with more and more adults. And then I went to a seminar. I recommend people do not go to seminar unless you want to change everything about your life. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to a seminar from one of my mentors and he said he was doing an exercise with the whole group. And he said, OK, close your eyes and imagine you're doing the thing that you love the most. What are you doing? Who are you with? And before I close my eyes, I'm like, easy. I'm scuba diving somewhere. I'm having fun. Right. I closed my eyes and all I saw were teenage girls sitting in a circle listening to me talk. I'm like, no, get out of my head. <laughs> I'm done with you. Yeah. Uh, but I realized I wasn't done. <laughs> and so um, that same week, I started Teen Confidence Academy. Uh -huh. And it was through the work I was doing in a holistic fashion that got me to write because as I'm teaching my clients these things, they're like, can you write it down for me? I love that. Oh, my God, write it down, write it down. And I'm like, no, 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 you take notes. And I heard it enough times that I'm like, okay, I'm going to write this down in a simple book, right? That's how I started in a simple book. And the title I was, the title of my book was also given to me by my clients because I would hear them say things all the time like, I can't do that thing. My damn mind fights me all the time or, you know, my damn mind does this or, you know, and I'm yes. like, oh, that's the title of my book. And it, it's catchy, <laughs> but it relates to the clients that I serve because I heard that phrase so many times. It's a very long story. <laughs> well, it's a great story. And I remember when I first read your book before you had published it and, and uh, you know, I got a chance to read the manuscript and I thought, wow, this book is fantastic. And it's not only fantastic for teenage girls, but it's fantastic for anybody. I wanted my son to read it. I wanted my wife to read it. I wanted everybody to read it because it speaks in a very clear, easy to understand way about something that we all experience. You know, our damn mind, you know, that <laughs> voice, that whatever's going on, however you describe it, we all have to deal with that as human beings. And you've nailed it in the book, making it so simple and easy, such an easy read, and yet so deep. It's so profound how, what you're sharing and how you do that. And then you went on to write a second book about happiness. Tell us about that. So uh, Five Simple Questions to Reclaim Your Happiness was actually my first book. Oh. And I would, but my damn mind won't let me, was my second book. So I'm going to give you guys like a really dirty story uh, of my writing. <laughs> so when I was learning how to be an author, I have no idea what to do. And I was listening to all these gurus and the gurus were saying, well, in order for you to even get recognized, you have to have two books. One book is useless. And so the Five Simple question. I started writing that as an article. Okay. And so I'm like, well, I don't, I don't have two books in me. So I changed that article. I wrote a little bit more and that became my first book. However, that's not the quality that I'm happy with. That's not who I am. So I kind of hit that, right? I put it okay. out there. So there's two books, but I never really promoted it. I never really talked about it. And all of my energy and attention went to damn mine because I'm so proud of that book. I really love it. And like you say, it does apply to anybody with a mind. Yes. I wrote it for teens because uh, teens because, you know, again, that's my passion. Sure. But anybody can read that book and, and gain something from that. And after the damn mind book got published and, you know, it, it was doing really great. I'm like, you know what? I need to rewrite the five simple questions. So I took time and energy to rewrite that because it's actually really good. It's a lot of us, we get so bogged down by our emotions and we feel so controlled by our emotions. 
But these five simple questions can guide you to understand where these emotions came from. Right. And then how to let them go. And then in the back of it is even a exercises to be happy, right? And so I spent a lot more energy and effort and created a product that I was really proud of, re-released that, and re-released it this year. That's why it's winning these awards this year. Right. Obviously a well-loved book. <laughs> I'm just wondering, Jackie, if you have a story about bullying, were you ever bullied? Were you ever bullied as an adult in your professional career? Because mindfulness can make such a big difference with those bullying situations. Most definitely. So I shared my stories of being the bully or, you know, to other people. And I also briefly shared how I was bullied in the medical settings. I mean, that was definitely being bullied. I was a teenager. I was seeking help. I was scared. And rather than having any kind of support or compassion, I was bullied. I was made to feel even worse about myself. So those are two examples of how I bully others and how other people bully me. But I want to present something that I don't think a lot of us think about as often as we should. And that is, we are our biggest bulliers, right? Yes, we are. Everything that I experienced back then was because of me. I mean, I was the one that says, you're stupid to me. I was the one that says, don't do it. You're not good enough. You don't fit in. You're, you're inferior. I t was telling myself all of that. And I told myself that so much that I believed it. And so I would love for people to just pause for a moment and think about how you've been bullying yourself and what you can do to stop that. Great question to ask. Jackie, I want to zoom right through five quick answer questions, if that's okay. The first one is this. Who's one person who has impressed you and influenced your mindfulness practice? I think it would have to be my mentor. One of my mentors, Robin. Uh, Robin Duncan, she has taught me so much about myself and my mind and how to help my clients. And how has mindfulness affected your emotions, Jackie? Oh my gosh, everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, so right now I'm in North Carolina, I'm living in North Carolina, and by Sunday, the, the big hurricane Irma might hit North Carolina, and I can get drawn into that negativity and that fear or I can stay mindful and present and stay calm and prepare for it and make decisions that, you know, are going to be more beneficial to me versus that knee jerk reaction out of fear. Well, tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Breathing is everything. I keep on saying everything is everything, don't I? <laughs> but breathing, your breath is your life force. And so when you take that moment to connect to your life force, things changes, the, physio, um, the physiology in your body changes when you're taking that time to slow down and be intentional with your breath. So you've written some marvelous books yourself, but if you could recommend another book related to mindfulness, what would that be? Unfortunately, I don't have an answer for that. I haven't read a lot of books on mindfulness, uh, but for me, I can recommend another book that helped me tremendously in relationships. And that's Dr. Gary Chapman, Five, um, Five Love Languages. For me, for a long time, I didn't understand that I was getting love in a way that I couldn't feel. So understanding that people give love and express love differently had helped me to really be a much open receiver. Very good. Can you share an app which maybe helps you be more mindful or some of your clients? So uh, the Spire Breathing app, are you, are you familiar with that? No, I'm not. 
So this is something that my husband got into two years ago to really uh, rein in his tension. He is uh, upper management and his job is very, very stressful. And oftentimes he would come home still tense, right? And so the Spire Breathing app is this little stone that is rechargeable. And I have no clue what material it is, but it's rechargeable. And you wear it either on your belt line or in the bra line. If you're a woman, you can wear it either place. And it monitors your breathing. Your question earlier, what does breathing have to do with mindfulness? It has everything to do with it. Because when you're stressed out, you're breathing differently than when you're focused or when you're relaxed. Yes. So this little stone monitors all of that. And it creates this beautiful graph for you to show you how you've been throughout the day. What percentage of your time was spent in focus, in relaxation, in tension. And while you're in that tense state, it actually vibrates. So this little stone is vibrating, letting you know, hey, you know, take a moment here to get back into that mindful mode and take care of yourself. And so you can step away from whatever you're doing. You can do your deep breathing or you can use the app that goes with that. I don't know if it's on Android right now. It's on iPhone and iWatch. And so the app, um, I believe, is called Burst. So when you okay. click on the Burst, it actually guides you through these deep breathing exercises. Oh. That, that really helps you to let go of that tension. And within the apps are tons and tons and tons of educational information from you know Deepak Chopra and other people like that that really teach you, again, how to take control of your mind and just be in the state of presentness right now. That's excellent. I'm so glad you shared that because no one has shared that on my show yet. So I'll put all of this into my show notes, <laughs> mindfulnessmode.com. Just type in Jackie, J-A-C-Q-U-I, and you'll find this episode. Jackie, this has been amazing talking with you today. It really has. How can Mindful Tribe connect with you, learn more about what you do, and of course, get your books? So the easiest way to get a hold of me is on my website, JackieLatran.com, and that is spelled J-A-C-Q-U-I-L-E-T-R-A-N.com. And once you go on JackieLatran.com, you'll see my books there, you'll see my practice there, and I'm actually writing my third book, which I think I share with you already, and it's called Unleash Your Inner Superpowers. And I'm looking for beta readers. So if you want to be one of the first to read this book, there is on the top tab that says join my VIP launch team. Click on that. Sign up for that. I would love to have you in my team and I would love to share my current work with you. Beautiful, beautiful. Wow. You just you just seem to be experiencing one success after another. It's so exciting to talk with you and to follow you. So Jackie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me here. It was so much fun talking to you about one of my most favorite topics. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. You take care and have a great rest of your day. Bye now. And you do the same. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode. <laughs>